You know, I believe one of the greatest disappointments in life is for the child of God to call on heaven and hear heaven say, no. You know, when you go to God and you have a need and you ask Him to do one thing and you don't see that thing happen, or even worse, maybe you see the very opposite thing happen, that can be very hard. It can cause you to become discouraged. It can cause you to not want to pray. It might even cause you to ask God, do you even care? You see, when you go to God like that, it's usually because you have a need. And when you have a need, you want God to come through for you. And when He doesn't, well, that can be very, very hard. We're going to be looking today at a text in 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, excuse me, 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. So I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and, and your, your message guide today and follow along as we look at this text together. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to be seeing God say to the Apostle Paul, no. <laughs> See, Paul is going to go to God because he has a need and he's not going to get the answer he wants. Instead, he's going to hear God say, no. And yet, you know, this is, this is not all bad news. In some ways, it's really good news because even when God says no, He also says yes. What I mean by that is this. Even if God says no to your request, He will always say yes to your needs. And that's the message that we find here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 7. Let me read the text and you follow along. Paul writing says, "...to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Father, I pray now that uh, Your Holy Spirit will be our teacher. Help us to understand more clearly what it is You're saying to us here, Lord, so that we will be better equipped, disciples, ready to live for You uh, in every arena and experience of life. Is the prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to jump right in here this morning and I want to say to you that there, there are two themes, there are two lessons, uh, there are two principles that jump out from this text that really need to resonate in our hearts and our minds this morning. And the first one is this. Let's begin with a reality. And it could be stated in a lot of different ways, but I'll just say it this way. Life is hard. <laughs> Do you agree with that? 
Life is hard. Life can be full of painful and difficult experiences of all kinds. That's the reality of life. And that's what Paul's telling us here in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And he knows it from his own experience. Look at the verse again. He says, "...to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh." Now, there's several things that we can learn from this verse. So let's walk through them quickly this morning. Number one, there was something in Paul's life that was causing him great distress and pain. He describes it as a thorn. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been really stuck by a thorn? Ouch! I mean, that thing hurts. And uh, if you've ever had one to, to stick in your flesh, let me tell you, there's no relief until you can get that thing out. So there was something in Paul's life that was causing him a lot of pain and that was causing him a great deal of distress. But you know, the picture's really even worse than that. And that brings me to the second thing we can learn from this verse. And that is this. The word that Paul uses here translated thorn can also be translated nail or even stake. So see, this, this wasn't a, a little irritation in Paul's life. This was a deep, excruciating pain in his life. Now, we don't know what it was. Uh, Bible commentators and scholars have debated this. Uh, some say Paul probably had some kind of uh, eye disorder, or perhaps he suffered for some painful eye disease. Others have said that perhaps he had a speech impediment. Others have suggested that he suffered from malaria or some other tropical disease that he picked up during his many missionary travels. We really don't know. We do know Paul had been badly mistreated. He had been beaten. He had been stoned. He had been left for dead. He had been imprisoned. So Paul could have suffered any number of physical problems from all that he had been through. Or perhaps he's referring to some emotional distress or some kind of relationship issue. We really don't know. But whatever this thing was that was causing Paul pain, he describes it as a thorn. So what does that mean for you and me? Well, that brings us to the third thing here. And that's really the question of the hour because we need to not just look at what Paul is going through here. We need to understand that thorns of life are common to you and to me. We've all had those painful and distressful experiences in life uh, where, where we haven't been able to, to feel much of anything except pain and, and distress. And... Those thorns can, as I said, be a variety of different things. Some of us get up every morning and go to a thorn called a job. Some of us don't have a job. And that's a thorn. For some, maybe your marriage is a thorn. Maybe some of you have children or parents who are thorns. Some of you may be dealing with some mistake that you made years in the past that continues to haunt you. And that's become your thorn. I mean, there are health thorns and financial thorns and relationship thorns. 
There are habits in our lives sometimes that are thorns. Uh, and all kinds of things we could talk about here. But whatever they are, they hurt. And sometimes it seems like they'll never go away. So, let me, let me talk to you this morning from the text about three truths that we can learn from what Paul writes. Three truths about the thorns of life. Now here's the first one. This should really come as no surprise to any of us, but we need to be reminded of it. Number one, as Christians, we are not exempt from the thorns of life. In this passage, remember who has the thorn. It's the Apostle Paul. Paul was not a carnal person. He was passionate about his relationship with Christ. He had given his life in Christian ministry and mission for the cause of Christ. But even Paul had a thorn. Let me tell you something. People who love God, who serve God, who live for God, still get thorns. If you listened in last week, you remember we were looking at 1 Peter chapter 4. And verse 12, Peter writing says this. Let's look at that verse again. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Paul's saying, look, just because you follow Christ, just because you pray, just because you go to church, just because you try to live a Christ-honoring life, that doesn't exempt you from the thorns of life. Getting saved doesn't render you impervious to these difficult, painful experiences that often come our way. We know this, but we need to be reminded of it like we were reminded of it last week. We're reminded of it again today. Secondly, and this is interesting, uh, I can get stuck by a thorn when I least expect it. I can get stuck by one of these thorns, one of these painful experiences can come my way when I least expect it. Now, this is important to understand the context of these verses that we have read. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 12, you will read where Paul talks about an experience he had when he was caught up into what he calls the third heaven. You see, in Hebrew thought, there were three different heavens. There's the atmospheric heaven, the heaven of the blue sky and the clouds and the air, the heaven that we can see with our natural eyes. Then there was the stellar heaven, the heaven of the stars and the planets and the galaxies. But then there was a third heaven, uh, and this was the throne room of God. This is the place where God dwells. This is the place you and I as followers of Jesus Christ will go after we die. Paul went to that heaven In fact, he's the only man we know of who went to that heaven while he was still alive and then was able to come back and talk about it. Paul could have told us about his thorn anywhere in his writings, but he chooses to talk to us about it right here where he talks about this experience of being caught up into paradise. Paul got his thorn immediately after this incredible experience where he went to paradise. In fact, 
If you look at verse 7 again, you'll, you'll read there that it was precisely because of that experience that he got this thorn. Look at that verse again. Paul said, to keep me from becoming conceited or proud because of these surpassingly great revelations. What revelations? The revelations that he had when he took that trip uh, into the presence of God. To keep me from becoming conceited or proud, there was given to me this thorn in my flesh. Again, Paul got his thorn right after his trip to paradise. It came when he least expected it. And if it could happen to Paul, it can happen to you and me. And most of us know what that's like. We're going along through life. Everything's going great. Uh, everything's going perfectly. Things are coming together in, in a lot of different areas. And we're thinking, God, you are so good. Uh, it's, it's wonderful following you. I'm, I'm having a great relationship with you. And then all of a sudden, you're on top of the world, and then out of nowhere, yikes, you get stuck by a thorn. It can come when you least expect it, and it's difficult sometimes when you, you, you feel like saying to God, God, I'm, I'm trying to give you everything I've got. I've, I've tried to obey you. I've, I'm trying to follow you, and now this is what I get. I get this thorn. I get this painful experience. I get this difficulty in my life. Listen, if it could happen to Paul again, it can happen to you, and it can happen to me. But here's the third thing, and this may be the most important thing that I can say about the thorns of life, and that is this. Satan is always waiting in the briar patch. Did you know that? Satan is always waiting in the briar patch. Look at, look at verse 7 again here. Paul says, There was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, Paul doesn't uh, identify his thorn, but he does identify something else. This satanic messenger whose job it was, whose purpose it was to take that thorn and use it to cause Paul torment. So, you see, we're not just talking about the thorn here. We're also talking about what Satan can do and what Satan wants to do with that thorn in your life. Let me tell you something. He wants to take that thorn. He wants to take that difficulty, that problem, that pain, that disappointment. Whatever it is, Satan wants to take that thorn and he wants to use it to absolutely torment you. He wants to use it to undermine your faith. He wants to use it to cause you to doubt God's love for you. He wants to use it to cause you to not want to pray and spend time with God. He wants to use it to batter you into a position of physical, emotional, and spiritual despair. So, again, it's not just the thorn. It's what Satan will do with that thorn if you let him. So what can you do? How in the world do you handle the thorns of life and the attacks of Satan that come in the midst of those painful experiences in life? Well, let me tell you something, and you know this. The same heat that can melt wax and turn it into a useless puddle will take clay and harden it and make it into a vessel of great usefulness and beauty. See, the difference is what you take into the fire, what you go with into the fire. 
And I want you to know this morning that God has a resource for you to take into the fire, a resource for you to take into the briar patch. And this brings us to the second thing I want us to look at this morning. That's the resource. The reality, life is hard. But here's the resource. That resource is, you ready? The grace of God. The grace of God. I believe, church, if there's one thing we probably need to learn about more than anything else, it is the grace of God. Now, we know about it. We talk about it. We sing about it. The best-known hymn in all the world is called what? Amazing Grace. So we, we know about it, but what is grace? Let me, let me give you some definitions of grace that I hope will be helpful to you this morning. Here's one. God is doing for me, or grace is God doing for me, what I have no conceivable possibility of doing for myself. Grace is God doing for me what I have no conceivable possibility of doing for myself. That is grace. Here's another definition. Grace is God's supernatural intervention into my circumstances that enables me to do something or be something I could never do or be on my own. Again, it's God's supernatural intervention into my life and my circumstances that would enable me to be or to do something I could never be or do on my own. That's grace. Now, the Bible speaks of two different kinds of grace. The first kind of grace, and the grace that we're probably most familiar with, is called saving grace. Saving grace is when God comes along and He shines the light of the gospel so that sinners who deserve nothing from God can receive Jesus Christ as Savior, eternal life as their destiny, and heaven as their eternal home. That is saving grace. It is God doing for us what we have no conceivable possibility of doing for ourselves. It's the kind of grace that we read about. You can see the verse there uh, on, your, on your message guide. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, when we get to heaven, there's not a single one of us who's going to be able to say, you know what, I did it. I got here because of my efforts. No. When we're in heaven, we'll be in heaven for one reason and one reason only, and that is the grace of God. And most of us understand that. But what we do not always understand is that the grace of God is also that great resource, not just to get us to heaven, but it's that great resource that enables us to live life victoriously right here on earth, even when we're being stuck, stabbed by the thorns of life. Now this second kind of grace, we're not talking here about saving grace, we're talking about what is called sustaining grace. And sustaining grace is the kind of grace that we need when we're dealing with the thorns of life, when the thorns of life and Satan are tormenting us. Now in verse 8, 
Look at this with me. Paul talks about his thorn, and he says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn away from me. Now Paul's first response, response to his thorn was to pray to God and ask God to take it away. I'm sure Paul felt like most of us feel like most times when we're dealing with a thorn. God, I don't need this. I don't want this. I could do better for you without this. Other people would do better if I wasn't having to deal with this, God. Everything would just be a whole lot better if you would just take this thorn away. And that's okay. It's okay to pray to God and ask God to take the thorn away because, well, sometimes God will take the thorn away. So it's okay and you ought to pray that way. But God's answer to Paul's prayer, and many times His answer to our prayer is not to take the thorn away. It is to do something else. And that's what brings me back to what I said just a moment ago. And that is, even when God says no, He also says yes. He may not give you what you ask for. He may not take the thorn away. But He will always give you what you need. And that was God's reply to Paul. And it's one of the great declarations in Scripture. I want you to look at it with me. Verse 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It's there in your message guide. But He, Paul speaking here, but He, that is God, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. Now, let me ask you a question this morning, and I want you to be honest. If you prayed to God or were thinking about praying to God and asking Him to take your thorn away, and you knew this would be God's reply, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not going to take the thorn away, but I'm going to give you my grace. If we knew that ahead of time, how many of us wouldn't even bother to pray? You know, Because that's not what we want. That's not what we're, what we're asking for. We ask God to take away the thorn, and many times God says, no, I'm not going to do that. But yes, I'm going to give you what you really need. I'm going to give you my grace. So here Paul's not talking about saving grace. Paul was saved. He was a believer. He was a Christian. He's not talking about saving grace here. He's talking about sustaining grace. So what is sustaining grace? Sustaining grace is when God comes alongside you or He comes alongside me and He doesn't change our circumstances. In other words, He doesn't take the thorn away. He doesn't change that. But He changes me. He changes you. Sustaining grace is when God breaks through the darkness and He shines the light of His peace into your heart. Sustaining grace is when God invades the madness of the storm and the pain and the, the, the lack of understanding and He wipes your tears away. Let me share this truth with you. Sustaining grace is at work when things don't get any better. In fact, things may get worse, but I get better. I get better. See, sustaining grace is at work when God changes me. When He changes my attitude. When He changes my 
my preoccupation and, and replaces my, my pain with joy, my despair with hope, and my uncertainty with assurance. Sustaining grace is what gives you and me the ability to persevere, to hang in there, to, to stand firm. I love what someone has said, and you can fill in the blanks here on your message guide. Sustaining grace is God's second wind. You understand that term, second wind, right? Runners understand this. You, you run and you run and you get to a point where you just feel like you can't go anymore, but you just keep going, you push through, and all of a sudden you get this experience of what's called the second wind, this new burst of energy, and you're able to continue. Well, that's what sustaining grace is. It's God's second wind. Paul says, or God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. Let me share another truth with you here. See, I don't like thorns because they point out my weakness. They point out my weakness. Let me tell you why we don't like thorns. That's why. Because we like to be able to handle things. We feel like we can deal with whatever comes our way in life. And so when we're pointed out, when it's pointed out to us that we're weak... Well, we don't, we don't like that. Paul said, let me tell you, I like thorns because, not because they point out my weakness, but because Christ's power is given the ability to work here. See, most of us don't have what it takes to deal with the thorns of life, the pressures and the problems and all of those things. And this is why God gives us these thorns many times, at least for a while. He gives them to us because we would never get around to really seeing and experiencing His strength without those things in our lives. We'd always be living around the margins of God's strength, theorizing about it, talking about it, sermonizing about it, but never really experiencing it. But Paul says, hey, in your weakness and in my weakness, in your pain and my pain, that's when God's strength becomes real. That's when we see it for what it really is, real strength. Our problem is that many times we're so focused on God getting rid of the thorn that we can't accept His answer about His strength, but not Paul. Look with me at verse 9. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, my thorns. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul actually begins to brag about how weak it is. Now listen, most folks I know like to brag about their strengths, right? Brag about their abilities. Brag about what they can do, what they've accomplished. But Paul says, not me. Let me brag about what I can't do. Let me brag about how weak I am. Let me brag about all these things that defy my abilities. Why in the world would Paul do that? Did he have a poor self-image, low self-esteem? No. Paul could brag about his weaknesses because he had learned something that every one of us here this morning need to learn, and that is this truth. It is better to live with a thorn and experience God's strength and God's power and see what God can do than it is to live without a thorn and experience what only we can do or I can do. That's a, listen, that's a radical way to look at life, but you know what? Christianity is radical. It's radical. And that's why Paul says in verse 11, look at this, For Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, <laughs> I delight in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Has Paul lost his mind? No, because he's come to this final conclusion. When I'm weak, then I 
am strong. And here's this great truth I want to leave you with this morning. It is when I'm at my weakest that I have the opportunity to experience God at His strongest. It's when I'm weak. It's when I can't handle the pain. I can't take the thorns. And I turn to God's grace that I get to experience His strength at work. Are you weak today? Maybe you're about to become stronger than you've ever been before. Things seem to be falling apart for you today. Maybe you're about to build the the largest superstructure you've ever built. Do things seem to be at their worst? Maybe you're about to see more power than you've ever dreamed of. Whatever your thorn is, the answer will always be the same. Grace. God's grace. His strength made real, made perfect in your weakness. God doing for you what none of us could do for ourselves. His strength being made complete, being made perfect in our weakness. I hope that encourages you today. And as we wrap up our time now this morning, uh, let me just encourage you to join us in this final time of worship. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word and thank You for this time. Now, Lord, meet us in our worship and strengthen us by Your might is the prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.